And hello, all those of you who are watching the Lighthouse YouTube channel. You're watching, a, uh, been watching with me as we uh, study God's Word from the book of First Peter. Uh, we're, the series that we've been preaching on, I've been teaching on with you, has been following Jesus in a hostile world. That's, today's passage is found in First Peter 2, 13 to 17. We're glad you joined us, and we're looking forward to spending time today in God's Word together. So the question arises when we look at the text that we're looking at today is, what is the proper relationship of Christian citizens towards government? Uh, today's text deals with that whole issue. I think we're living in challenging days where our government is showing its ineptitude in governing our country of Canada. The pandemic has actually brought that to light. And as we now look at the war in Ukraine and our government's response, we begin to wonder, Who's really in charge and really do they even know what they're doing? I think it makes you realize sometimes it's hard to trust or have confidence with those who are supposed to be in leadership over us. We might not even like the way they lead or perhaps the way they don't lead. This letter was written in a time when the government was not favorable to the Christian faith. Peter and Paul were executed for their faith in Christ by Nero, the Roman emperor. We've just studied that as believers were to live holy lives as strangers and aliens in a hostile world. We're pilgrims, we said, on a journey here through earth. And as we look at 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17, if you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to look it up, and I'll read from God's Word the passage that we're studying today. We pick it up in verse 13. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor." Let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer as we ask for God's blessing on his word to our hearts. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, we believe that the word of God is inspired, that it's inerrant, it is probable for doctrine, for rebuke, and Lord, for suffering in righteousness' sake. So Father, continue to lead us and guide us through the word of God. Continue to teach and help us, Lord, that our minds and hearts would be receptive to the truth you have for us today. And Lord, we give you thanks again for your presence, and for the blessing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The next few verses are in response to what Peter says in the preceding verses, in which he challenges us to keep our conduct honorable and godly, and so that we might glorify God in all that we do. He is, uh, wants us to focus on, as believers, on our behavior in response to the leaders in our culture and government. In other words, how should we behave as Christians in a society uh, in response to government leadership? We read in verse 13, it says, Be subject to the Lord's sake for every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. That's verse 13. The word subject or, or submit, that, that word, is not an easy word to stomach for any one of us because who likes the idea of being submissive 
or being subject to or to place oneself under the authority of their leadership because sometimes, frankly, we don't trust leadership. But when you see that word to be subject to, it means to be in obedience to. But again, let me say this very clearly at the outset. Submission to authority does not involve actions that are sinful or, in, uh, or contrary, per se, to the Word of God. So we need to say, yes, we need to be obedient to those in leadership and authority over us as Christian citizens who are pilgrims on this earth, but if the teaching and what they show us or the laws go contrary to the Word of God, then that's a whole different story. Submission to others, whether they be believers or not believers, is not our natural reaction. But it's a supernatural reaction of one who allows the Spirit of God to control their attitudes and their actions. And again, the whole idea as we look through 1 Peter is this. God says, be holy for I am holy. And again, the, the practical aspect is, it's not just to be holy in our speech, but he's going to talk about our conduct. And I mean, so that people, when people see you and I, in our response to what the government says, are those in leadership over us, whether it's provincial or federal. How do we respond with Christ-like attitudes and actions? Very pertinent to our day in which we live. See, believers are to live as upright citizens, submitting to human governments, realizing they are ordained by God. As Daniel declared when God answered his request to reveal the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel chapter 2, this is what Daniel says, It is he, or God in heaven, who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and he establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. As citizens of this world, under civil law and authority, God's people are to live in a humble, submissive way in the midst of a hostile, godless, and slandering society. In other words, in challenging times, our actions and our attitudes ought to be such that Christ is revealed through us, that God blesses us for how we respond and how we live in a dark, dismal day. But submission involves not only seeking one's own interests, not seeking one's own interests, but rather assuming a voluntary commitment of service to others. In other words, it's not about me, but how can I live in such a way as to serve those around me? The most important thing that this text does is to pull all of our social and political life into a relationship with God. In other words, all of my life needs to focus on what does God think of my actions? What does God think of my behavior? So the Bible is not a book about how to get along with the world. It's a book inspired by God about how to live for God. Paul wrote this, Through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God in Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus had said also in his word, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's, in the Gospel of Matthew twenty-two thirty-one. 31. Peter was certain that those who governed the nation were sent by God and held a responsibility from him, and were therefore no terror to the man who lived an honorable life, as seen in Romans 13. In the pastoral epistles, uh, Timothy instructs us to pray for kings and for those in authority. We're to pray for them on a regular basis. And so my challenge to you this day, 
As a believer in Jesus Christ, do you pray for Prime Minister Trudeau? Do you pray for Premier Doug Ford? Do you pray for the, your mayors? Do you pray for the people that God has put in place and authority over us, whether it's civil, civil, uh, in, in civil justice or in our province or federally? The instruction of the New Testament is that for the Christian, that he needs to be a good and useful citizen for that country in which his life is set. Human governments, hear me loud and clear, human governments are created by God. Uh, and we need to remember that. Romans 13, 1 says this, <clears throat> Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So you're saying to me, you're telling me, Pastor, that our federal government has been set up by God and that God used them. That's right. You're saying that our provincial government has been set up by God and he's allowed that to rule in this day and this age. The answer is yes, that's right. God is sovereign. God rules. God knows what he's doing. The thing we need to understand is that God can use evil men as well as good men for his purposes because he is God. And the thing is, in that relationship, we need to say, okay, if these men who are evil at times, if God has allowed them to reign, do they serve his purposes? The answer is, yes, they do. See, Peter could command the Christian community to honor the king and governor, knowing the wickedness of Nero. Then how much more must we honor our leaders, even though they may endorse and promote acts which we regard as wrong? So you ask yourself, well, <clears throat> the emperor that day was Nero. How bad was Nero? Well, let me tell you. He was a wicked king. He was the greatest earthly enemy the church has ever known in human history. Nero, whose acts of barbarism were the fulcrum not only behind the mass genocide of Christians in AD 64, but led directly to the siege of Jerusalem in AD 70, foretold by Christ himself in Matthew 24. Nero's extreme punishment of Christians was perhaps one of the most nefarious displays of cruelty. He held parties in his gardens while the Christians' punishment served as entertainment. He would take Christians, bathe them in wax, time to poles, and light them up at, to go through his garden at night to light his way while they screamed in agony, and that was his perverse pleasure. That's just one of the things he did. He also would cover sometimes Christians with the skins of beasts, and then they were torn by dogs and perished in the Roman amphitheater, were nailed to crosses, or doomed to flames and burnt to serve as nightly illumination. The public spectacle was on display in the Roman courtyard for all Romans to witness, while he paraded around in a chariot dressed in costumes. He was also the one who <clears throat> murdered his mother because he thought that she was trying to boss him around too much. He killed off some of his wives. He, he was a, a, quite the character. And then we read that Peter is saying that you need to respect and pray for those in authority over you. And you think, How, really, those kind of people? But the interesting thing, you say, well, he was such an evil, wicked, wicked despot. This guy was such a bad character. What good did that do for Christianity? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Christianity under persecution grew and grew and grew. Why did it grow? Because when the people all around saw the attitude and the behavior of Christians under the most trying uh, situations and circumstances, 
They saw how the Christians treated their dead. They saw how the Christians looked after their own people. They saw that, and as a result of that, many people came to a saving knowledge of Christ because they saw real Christianity in actions in the darkest of times. My friends, sometimes under persecution, under trial, under bad government, our Christian faith can shine as an example of hope to people who have no hope. Because our hope is grounded in the coming of Jesus Christ. We go on to the next verse, verse 14. He says, Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Christians are to be law-abiding citizens. So when you drove here today, or when you were driving, did you obey the speed limit? Do you obey the laws? If the law of one's government violates the revealed will of God, however, then of course the believer must obey God, though he may have to suffer the penalties of the government's law. We need to always go by, what does the Scripture say? Regardless of what the government says, what does Scripture say? And follow what Scripture says. And so the righteous punishment expressed by the word punish that we see in this passage that these governors are sent by God to punish those who do evil uh, is not necessarily what Nero and his provincial governors aimed to do. It expresses the ideal situation and what God designed government to do. Nero, in contrast, punished good doers, having Paul beheaded and Peter crucified upside down according to secular reports. The proper aim of government is to minimize evil of fallen man so that anarchy does not result. To be sure, no government brings about the salvation of one's soul, but God does use the order produced by human governments in contrast to the chaos and of anarchy so that the gospel can go out to those who are unsaved. Timothy, as I said earlier, urges us to pray for human authorities. He says in 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4 in the Word of God. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We see in the next verse, verse 13. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. See, God's word is like a compass. And as a servant's we are to get one's, our bearings in a pagan culture from what God's word teaches us. So Peter writes to this letter describing those who have decided to stop sinning and to live the rest of the time of the... That not only for, uh, according to the lust of the flesh, but they might live their lives in honoring and glorifying who God is. Peter's aim for us is that we live spirit-filled lives of goodness and that the slander of, that happens against Christianity will be silenced by the godly lives of believers who profess to love him. We're put to silence the ignorance of those foolish people who know not Christ, who continue to falsify reports of what Christianity is really like. Peter says believers silence them not by what they say, but by what they do. Because, you know, you and I, we can argue against what people say that's negative and what's wrong about Christianity. But what Peter is saying is by your godly lifestyle, by your actions, 
your actions speak louder sometimes than words. And people can see by your deeds and by your actions that what you have is the real deal. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ and it's transformed your life in terms of how you act, how you behave. So we need to let the, our actions of doing right speak louder than our words. One of the greatest evangelistic tools is how we live, especially by doing what is right. See, it's often been said, people don't care how much you know until they see how much you care. Isn't that true? Such a lifestyle will silence many critics. Uh, we live today in a society not unlike what Peter did with people who are critical of Christians and Christianity, where Christianity is being nominalized. Peter's point is that our conduct can be our greatest weapon against critics and also be our greatest vulnerability at the point of great accusations. Where Christians or so-called Christians are exposed as evildoers, this just serves to fuel the fire in the non-believing world. And that's why the world jumps all over when they see people who profess to be in Christian ministry piling up wealth and, and uh, wealth for themselves and living lifestyles that are exorbitant. That's why when they look at people who profess to be believers and who are in leadership, leading immoral lives, they go like, you're no different than we are. That's why it's so imperative that, you know, you say, well, th what difference does that make? It makes a big difference because oftentimes when one person sins, all of Christianity is branded as being false and of no avail. The bottom line then in vengeance is not what we say at times, but what we do. Someone has said, some of us speak so loud that we, by what we do, that no one can hear what we say. Do you some of the principle of what I would call lifestyle evangelism in a Sermon on the Mount, commanding us to this in Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He says, they need to be able to see by what you do and how you act and that Christ lives in you and by your compassion and by your care for those around you, they can be like, that's Christ-like. That's what Jesus would do. And we see in verse 16, we're told from in 1 Peter, let us live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Christian freedom is conditioned by Christian responsibility. Christian responsibility is always conditioned by Christian love. And Christian love is the reflection of God's love. And for a Christian, liberty can be summed up like Augustine said, love God and do what you like. Is it really? The Christian is free because he is a slave of God. He lives in such a way as to serve his master. And so my desire is that by my life, I would seek to serve Jesus Christ in all that I do. See, Christian freedom does not mean being free to do as we like. It means being free to do as we ought. In this matter, we have to return to that great central truth that we have already seen. Christianity is community. The Christian is not an isolated unit. He is a member of the body of Christ, the community of Christ, and within that community, his freedom operates. So within the family of God, the body of Christ, we operate in such ways that people see Christ in and through us in our relationships with each other. Christian freedom, therefore, is the freedom to serve. 
Jesus said this, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed, in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. We pick it up in the next verse, verse 17. It says, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. There's four distinct commands that he makes that are very practical in terms. You don't need, you need to understand that some people are just not honorable. But we're to honor them anyways. Some people are not lovable. Love them anyways. There's no escape clause attached to this verse. The commands show us that submission is first and foremost a matter of the heart. So how much honor have you really given if you obey someone only because uh, you've done it because uh, you've done it through clenched teeth? We're to submit graciously, to obey willingly and honor always all men, all brethren, all those in authority over us. We don't have the right to pick and choose who we will submit to. We're to submit to them all. We're to honor. That means pride, value, to attribute worth or merit to someone, person, or thing. Show all men respect, which is due to them according to their worth, as those made in the image of God. Then we're told, to also told to love unconditionally and sacrificially, which is the word agape, as we know from the Greek language. This love is not sentimental. It's not emotional. It's not based on impulse or feeling, but an obedient act of one's will acting on the behalf of one's highest good. Since it's unconditional, it is dispensed even if it's not received or returned. I'm going to love somebody. I'm going to care for them even if they don't respond back to me. Treat them the way Christ would. Then we're to fear. It means to revere. It indicates a command as a habit of life. And so and then it talks about reverence, all these different things that we're to apply in our relationships with others. It's only when God has given his proper place in the center of our heart and spirit and mind and strength that all other things take their proper place. Of the four injunctions we see in this verse, this is the most amazing for it says that we're to honor, if you look at the last part of that verse, we're to honor the emperor. Remember, he's talking about Nero. And so he was an evil, evil emperor, and he says you're to honor him. It's the teaching of the New Testament that even if a ruler like Nero is, sent by, is also sent by God to preserve order among men, that he must be respected. So, <laughs> the question comes up, what have we learned from all this today? Well, in the end, submission is not about obeying someone else or about following a set of rules. Submission is actually a spiritual issue between you and God. It touches every part of life because every human authority stands for the Lord himself. In this book of 1 Peter, we're going to see the word submission coming up many, many times in relationship to government, in relationship to marriage, and in terms of relation with others around us. Submit, submit, submit. And boy, do we struggle with that word. But you know, it also says not to do that. It says that rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft in 1 Samuel 15, 23. A rebellious spirit against authority is actually a form of rebellion against God. You hear that? A rebellious spirit against authority is also actually a form of rebellion against God. I remember once talking to teenagers. Man, I have a hard time obeying my mom and dad. 
And they, they say, matter of fact, I, I just really, really struggle. And I say, if you struggle obeying and submitting to your parents, let me tell you something. You're going to struggle with submitting and obeying God. Is it really? Yeah. It's, it's, it's so true that we struggle in submitting to those in authority. We're going to struggle in every area of life because it's, it goes right across the board. That's why sometimes it's the hardest doctrine to obey in the Bible. It runs counter to fallen human nature. You may ask yourself, has anybody ever lived really in submission to, those, uh, to one's authority over him? And the answer is yes. His name is Jesus. Peter mentions in a few verses later in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're called to follow in Jesus' steps. It says in the Scripture, though he is insulted, he did not retaliate in kind. Though he has sinned against, he never sinned in response. Though he was humiliated, he never threatened to get even. Instead, he entrusted himself to his heavenly Father. His submission led to his crucifixion, and his crucifixion brought salvation to the entire world. And Peter says these words to you and I, follow in his steps. Will you do that? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God. I just pray, Father, you would take your word and you would apply it to our hearts and help us live by the truth found in your word, Lord, that we might honor you and help us with that word submit and help us, first of all, Lord, to submit to your authority and say, Lord, lead me and guide me and may I be quick to follow you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.